Father, I pray that all I do and say will honour you, Lord, that um, this will be your word, Lord, that um, there will be something here for everyone to encourage us, to build us up, and take hold of everything that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. So today I want to, take, I want to talk about taking possession of all that God has for us. So, there's a lot more that could be said on this subject. Um, probably take a year. <laughs> but I'm not going to talk about specifically for individuals, but what I'm going to talk about is for us as a whole. So some of what I'm sharing today um, is from Nicky Gumbel, and I read a story of his where he talks of his um, maternal grandparents who owned a house near Edinburgh in Scotland um, and because of the onset of World War II they decided to rent it out and then after the war they wanted to move back into the house but the law at the time allowed the renters to stay in as long as they wanted and without any adjustment for the rent for inflation so for 50 years they were unable to take possession of the house even though they owned it eventually Nicky's uncle inherited the house but by the, t- by the time he took possession of it the condition of the house had deteriorated so badly that it was only worth a very small amount so even though Nicky's family owned his, this house they never actually took possession of it The story illustrates there's a big difference between ownership and possession. And we can't use anything we haven't taken possession of. Another example of this is if we buy a new car, we might pay for it, might be there ready to pick it up, so we own it, but until we actually take delivery of it and drive it away, we can't use it for its intended purpose. So today I want to realise, I want us to realise how much is already ours in Christ and encourage us to take possession of all that God has for us and put it to use, to good use for his kingdom. God has promised you more than you can imagine if you will only take hold of it and run with it. Today's verse is from Joshua 18 verse 3. Then Joshua asked them, How long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? In this verse, Joshua is urging Israel to take possession of all the land that God has given them. They owned it, but they hadn't taken full possession of the land. They hadn't yet fully entered into all that God had promised them and take hold of everything that he wanted to give them. The result of this is that they weren't able to drive out of the land all the nations who had lived there before them as the Lord had commanded them to. And this had devastating consequences because these nations became a snare to them and led them astray into corrupt practices and false worship of idols that came from these nations that were living around them. We see the result of this in the book of Judges where all the people just did whatever seemed right in their own eyes which is the attitude that leads to sin. Because when we decide 
we normally compromise. We normally aren't focused on what God wants. We only have to look at, to know what that looks like, to look in the world around us. In my own life, I've shared before, a few times now, how um, when I was a young bloke, I didn't take up the ministry opportunities that God was giving me because I was too afraid. And I regret my choices, but God has forgiven me. And while we can learn from the past, we can't change it. But the wonderful thing is that God never gave up on me. So even if you failed before, doesn't mean you can't take up the next opportunity that God gives you. I'm here today by the grace of God with still plenty to learn and I know I'll make mistakes, but God is moving forward and wants me to move forward with him and take hold of all that he wants to give me to help this church to love him more, know him more and grow more in him. Now I think as it was for me, when I was younger, the number one thing that stops us from taking possession of everything that God wants to give us is fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of failure. Fear of the enormity of the task at hand. Fear of harm or suffering to us or loved ones. Fear of ridicule and rejection by family and friends. Fear can rob us of so many joys and opportunities with the Lord. There are certainly a lot of things that we can fear, but the Bible teaches us God is the only one we should ever fear. Fear of God just means treating him with the reverence and respect that's due to him, to offer him the thanks and praise he deserves for being our creator and saviour, but it's also to fear displeasing him. So what are some of the other lessons that we can learn from Israel? Why did the Israelites stop taking possession of the land when they had been a part of so many amazing victories that God had won for them under Moses and under Joshua? I think firstly there was a lack of godly leadership. When you're saying, well hang on a minute, Joshua was still alive. Um, what was going on? Why was he challenging them to keep moving and taking possession of the land? He had led them in many victories already. Well, we can only assume that he was no longer leading them into battle, most likely because he was getting too old. Um, and that there was no one else who was strong enough in the Lord to lead them. So, whereas Moses had a succession plan, who was Joshua... Joshua didn't have a succession plan. It seems... Um, it's, it's amazing the difference a good leader can make and this situation shows the importance of developing and training godly leaders to take over when the time is right. For example, if God is telling us to go and build a school then you're going to be looking for leadership in that area and thinking about the types of leaders you need. Obviously you need teachers to teach <laughs> the children, principal, administrators. 
need leadership in lots of different areas. So it's important to know what God is calling you into, to know the sort of leaders that he's developing for you. Secondly, I think complacency, laziness and wrong priorities. It is likely that as the Israelites settled in the land, most of the people started to become consumed by their own family interests, establishing their priorities and where they're living rather than considering the larger picture that God had in mind. They had become short-sighted, feeling comfortable and secure in what they had and where they were rather than considering about providing a strong foundation that would allow for expansion of future generations in the land. And they'd forgotten the command that God had given them to take possession and drive out all the nations out of the whole land that God was giving them. And also, the last areas of the land were the hardest bits to conquer. So, after today's reading, we hear that they'd taken over most of the hill country, but down on the plains, which was probably the best land, they complained to Joshua about, they've got iron chariots. They've got horses. It looked too hard. And I'll speak a little bit more about that. I'll get back to that in a minute. Sometimes we take the path of least resistance. Sometimes it's easier to live with our neighbours if we have the same values, ideas, culture. We tend to become assimilated with them without even realising it. The nations that Israel didn't fully destroy as God had told them to later then regrew, rose up and led them astray and sometimes overcame and defeated them. This process usually happens gradually. First of all, you don't see them as a threat. Then you notice maybe the good things they have or their success and resources. And then, like the Israelites, they were sucked into intermarriage, taking their ideas into your culture, including their gods, which led to dualism. In other words, they were worshipping not just Yahweh, their god, they were worshipping all the other gods. It's like... If we worship the lot, then surely someone's supposed to going to be help. One of them will help us. It seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Having a bet each way. <laughs> you feel like you can't lose. But God says, I'm a jealous God. Not to worship, that's his, the first commandments, any other gods. So I think it's worth thinking about sometimes what are the ways that we absorb the ideas and the ways of the culture around us in the church I've heard it said of the church that the values of the church are the same as the world but just 10 years behind is there truth in that? for example what is the church teaching about sexual purity? it wasn't long ago practicing homosexuality wasn't considered a godly lifestyle but now is accepted in many churches what was that? Yes, we need to care and show God's love to sinful people, but who are we to say what is acceptable to God? That is why we need to rely on what he says in his word, not on the whims of the culture around us. 
If we go back a bit further to the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, the, the main issue was premarital sex. Is it because we've lost that battle that nobody seems to talk about that anymore? I just had a quick look at some statistics. And now from 2011, and it said 80% of people that claim to be Christians have sex before they actually properly get married. And out in the world, people that aren't Christians, the figure is 88%. It's not a big difference. That's 10 years ago. So I suspect, I know when Sharon and I were getting married, one of the marriage books we read, I think they said it was about two-thirds of Christians. In 2011, they reckon it was up to 80. I reckon it would probably be up to about 90 now. I remember when I was a young bloke, I reckon about a third of Christians got divorced and about half of non-Christians. Now they reckon the statistics are the same. No difference outside to inside the church. And I know I'm talking about broad strokes here, about the church in general, but sometimes we talk about the mission field out there. I think there's a mission field in a lot of churches. God said, be holy as I am holy. We must still uphold God's standards even if we fall or we fail to live up to them. We need to hold on to the truth because if we don't, then we just end up the same as everyone else. As I briefly mentioned before, sometimes it all just looks too hard. And for me, I know as a young bloke, that's certainly one of the things that seem like this is just too hard, Lord. But we need to face up to the hard things before they rise up, grow into things that we can't control and then conquer us, which is what happened to the Israelites. So at the time of Joshua, they said even though they didn't fully take over the land, they enslaved many of the peoples there. They became slaves to Israel. But those slaves were supposed to be driven out of the land. They weren't supposed to be taken on as slaves. Later on, those slaves rose up. We hear so many times, right through Judges and the Book of Kings and Chronicles, how those nations rose up and defeated Israel time and time again as they were led astray by them. Many people these days have a real problem with submission and authority. They don't want to submit their lives to anybody, including God. (laughs) Yes, there are many bad examples of powers and authority that we can see in the world around us. But none are any worse than Rome was in Jesus' day. So do we trust Jesus? People now say we want to be all that we feel we should have the right to be and how dare you say anything different or stand in my way. So you've got the alphabet people, as they've become known, who openly and proudly declare I have a right to be who I want to be and God should accept me because he made me this way. Well, God does accept all of us the way we are if we turn to him and accept the gift of salvation he is offering us through Jesus. But God doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He wants to change us to be more like his son Jesus. 
The Bible talks about conforming us to the image of his son Jesus. And if we do surrender our control over to him and follow him, he will change the desires of our heart and the qualities of our character and how we see and treat others. If we're not changing, what's stopping us? What aren't we letting him do in our life? What aren't we handing over? What's really motivating us? And I know at my girl's sports day this year, I was talking to a counsellor about some of the terrible family situations that he comes across. He expressed his dismay and frustration at how often the same problems and destructive life patterns seem to be perpetrated from generation to generation in the same families, from father to son, from mother to daughter, and he felt a sense of powerlessness to do anything to change this. So what should have I said next? What an opportunity that was. But let me paint a bit of a picture. As I was having this conversation with him at sports day, there was a huge crowd noise because they were running their relays and the final things for the day. And I could hardly hear him, and I'm hard of hearing as it is. And I was asking him to repeat himself all the time, and then I was thinking he was saying something, and I'm sort of nodding. And in this situation, I thought, oh, it's just too hard to tell him about Jesus. Because that's what he needed to hear, that Jesus can change people's hearts. Jesus can change people's lives. But, mark my scorecard, I failed. I didn't tell him about Jesus. I thought, oh, maybe hopefully I'll get another chance. But I didn't. When it all calms down, I didn't see him again. felt so disappointed with myself but God still even when we make mistakes hopefully we learn from them and take up the challenge and the opportunity next time when when God brings another one along Hopefully we look for opportunities as well. But in regard to this ongoing generational issues, thankfully we have a different father whose son has shown us what the true father really requires and desires, which is to treat people as we wish to be treated and love one another as he has loved us. And how did he show his love? by laying down his life and taking the punishment we deserved, which was death on a cross. Are we prepared to take up our cross and follow him and be his disciple? Another thing that I think God wants us to take possession of is we are created to enter and live in his rest. The New Testament presents the promised land as a picture of the Christian life. And we'll look at Hebrews 4 in a moment. If we would only realise what is ours in Christ and take possession of it. How are you feeling today? Are we all feeling good? Tip top? Ready for whatever life has to throw at us? Really motivated and excited? Now come on. How do we really feel? 
In today's fast-paced life, it's so easy to be worn down by the pressures and anxieties of life. It keeps going and never stops. It just seems to getting harder rather than easier. How often do you feel at rest and peaceful? We probably have all experienced feeling tired, worn out, struggling to get things done and making ends meet. Well, we've got some good news for us. We were created to live in God's rest. And it is available to all of us now. When I say now, I don't mean going to sleep during my sermon, but <laughs> receiving and living in God's Sabbath rest and being at peace with God in the midst of a world that is in turmoil all around us. So let's have a look at Hebrews 4, where the writer talks about a promised rest for God's people. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. So this is a serious thing. That is something you don't want to miss out on. For this good news, it's good news that we can enter God's rest. That God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Now the them that he's referring to here is the same people that Joshua was challenging in today's verse where he says to them how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors has given you? So the writer of Hebrews is referring to these same people here. But it it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. It's the only qualification that we believe. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. In Psalm 95. And even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest, in Psalm 95. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So these people didn't fully take possession of the promised land, and so they failed to enter God's full rest that he promised would be theirs if they had. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Which is also Psalm 95. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest that's still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. So, we still have the promise that we who believe can enter his rest, which is verse 3. God planned this from the beginning. We were created to live in his rest. 
In Genesis chapter 1, when God was creating the world and everything in it, there was an evening and a morning to each of the first six days. But when we get to the seventh day, note that there was no evening to close the seventh day. So let's read that as well so we can understand that. Uh, Starting from the last verse of uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Of course, everything God does is good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And then into Genesis 2, verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So why is there no evening and morning to mark the end of the seventh day? I know when it was first mentioned to me, I thought, oh, I'd never noticed that before. Friends, it's because we're still living in the seventh day. It isn't over yet. In fact, we were created to live in the seventh day, continually living in God's rest, as the writers of Hebrews confirms in verse 7, today is the day to enter his rest, every day. Verse 11 says, let us do our best to enter that rest. Back in the Old Testament, you know, in uh, The Jews in in, in Joshua's time, they kept the Sabbath, but they didn't enter God's rest. So when we do enter his rest, we will experience peace and fellowship with God that is beyond our understanding. In today's day and age, it has never been more important to live in God's rest. Not just one day a week, but every day. When we look at Jesus' life, he particularly spent time with his Father. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We need to make time for that fellowship. I know um, in recent times, I was getting really tired and feeling, oh, worn out, you know, like, and I suddenly realised, even though I was dealing with the things of God, I wasn't doing things with God, and it's an easy trap to fall into. What else do we need to take possession of? His righteousness and his gift of the Holy Spirit. There's so much God is willing to give us if we would only open our eyes and take possession of what he's offering. He has opened up his heavenly treasure house to provide us with everything heaven has to offer, making all his resources available to us to use for his kingdom purposes. So what's this righteousness? just means we have been restored into right relationship with God. He is our Father and we are his children. That means we can come to him with anything, ask whatever we want, and he will listen and give us wise counsel. He also gives us wonderful gifts and provisions for doing his work, but only if we receive what he's offering. If 
we receive them, put them on the shelf and never take it out and use it, it's not much good. So we need to start to use them by faith. And if we don't have enough faith, we can ask him and he'll give us more. When we do, be prepared for things to happen. Your world may even be turned upside down. But not in a bad way, in wonderful ways that we can't even begin to imagine or express. It's such a sweet joy and a wonder of living in the presence of God, which is not dependent on our circumstances or happiness, but on our closeness of fellowship with him, our willingness to surrender, submit and obey him. We receive the gift of righteousness when we accept Jesus Christ by faith, but we still have to take possession of it by living it out in our lives. Living in right relationship with God then helps us to live in right relationship with each other, displaying godly character, wisdom, humility and integrity. Are you enjoying everything Jesus made possible for you? Or are you feeling guilty and powerless because of missed opportunities? I know after I missed that opportunity at sports day, I felt really down on myself. I was upset with myself. But Jesus came to bring forgiveness, new life and the power of the Holy Spirit to you. Make sure you take possession of what is already yours. So what is Jesus offering First of all, he offers us forgiveness for our sins. We come to Jesus and put our faith in him. He takes away our sins, so claim, trust and believe in the forgiveness he has brought for us. Actively reject feelings of shame or unworthiness because what Jesus has done on the cross has made us clean, holy and acceptable to him, not just one time, but forever. So be proactive and make a daily practical choice to take possession of the forgiveness that Jesus has made possible for you before the devil can start accusing you. Jesus also promises new life in the Holy Spirit. As John the Baptist declared Jesus as the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus promises to fill you with his Holy Spirit. God is alive in each and every one of us but are we alive to him? Are we allowing him to nurture, direct and lead us? Or have we got other things we'd rather do? I know I've been accused in the past of being bland, boring, forgettable, a nobody. And I have to admit, I didn't want to be the centre of attention. I enjoyed blending in and being in the background and not being noticed. But the truth is, I needed a Holy Spirit fire lit under me to set me on fire for the Lord, to stir a passion, a desire in me for God and his plans and purposes. And until I came here and was baptised in the Holy Spirit, I'd been wandering in the wilderness for many years because I hadn't taken possession of all that God wanted to give me and I wasn't willing to receive all the inheritance God was longing to give me. Friends, it's time. Time to take possession of the promised land. Yes, there are many battles ahead that may seem insurmountable for us, but it's not us that does the fighting. It's God who does the fighting for us, just like he did all those years ago with Joshua and the Israelites. All we have to do is follow him 
and take possession of everything he wants to give us and be responsible manager of us. Yes, sometimes what we face looks very scary. But I pray for us the prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant when he saw they were surrounded by the Aramean army. O Lord, open our eyes and let us see. See that there are more on our side than theirs. Elisha's servant's eyes were opened to see the hillside around them was filled with horses and chariots of fire. All the provisions of God in heaven are available to us if we would only just see, receive, take possession all that God is longing to do with us and for us. Jesus invites us to follow him just as he invited the disciples all those years ago. The Greek word used in the Bible for to follow means not only to walk in my footsteps but also to accompany, to be with, to stay with him. This is the same word Jesus uses in John 15 when he asks us, remain in me as I remain in you. We see that Jesus wants us to stay and remain with him always in all places and situations. Jesus is inviting us into a deep personal friendship with him. Remember, part of our mission statement says we can all be his friend and we gladly accept the role of telling people that he wants to be their friend too. Now Jesus doesn't really need our help but because of his great love for us and all of mankind he calls us to follow him just like his first disciples and calls others to follow him too. This is the first thing the original disciples did was to bring their friends, their family and introduce them to Jesus. In John 1, John the Baptist introduces Andrew to Jesus, Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus And Philip introduces Nathanael to Jesus, who was suspicious to start with, but when he met Jesus, he discovered and then proclaimed that Jesus really was the Son of God. In his commentary on John's Gospel, William Temple, who was the former Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote, next to verse 42, next to these words, the words are, and he brought him, that is Simon, He, Andrew, brought him, Simon Peter, to Jesus. So next to those words, and he brought him to Jesus, he wrote this note. The greatest greatest service that one person can do for another. So the greatest thing that someone can do for another is to introduce them to Jesus. Now, Peter went on to be one of the most significant influences in the history of Christianity and we may not be able to do all that Peter did for the Lord, but we can certainly do what his brother Andrew did and bring someone to Jesus, introduce them to Jesus. Or like Philip, you can invite them to come and see. It is amazing that God involves imperfect human beings like us to be a part of his perfect plan to save all those whom he has chosen. So, in summary, see it, claim it, live it. In other words, see everything that God is wanting to give you. Claim it, take hold of it, take possession of it, and then put it to good use in your life and for the service of the kingdom of God.
So let's learn from Israel's mistakes and don't let fear, complacency, laziness or lack of leadership stop us from taking possession of what God has for us. Let's learn to live in God's rest so we can be renewed in God and charged up with a Holy Spirit fire to do all that he has and what he has got waiting for us by living in right relationship with God through his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. Actually, I might finish with a prayer. So Lord, please open our eyes and help us to see all that you have for us. And Lord, thank you that you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Help us today to take possession of all that is already ours by faith through Jesus. Let's see it, claim it and live it with Jesus. Amen. Amen.